are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which came out in 2022. It was directed by Ryan Coogler. It stars Letitia Wright, Angela Bassett, Denai Guerra, Winston Duke, Lupita Nyong'o, Dominique Thorne, Tanakh Huerta, Florence Kusumba, Lake Bell, Richard Schiff, Martin Freeman, and Julia Louise Dreyfus. The genre would be superhero action epic. No woman, no cry. No darling, don't shed no tear. No woman, no cry. In this great future, you can't forget your past. So dry your tears. Queen of the most powerful nation in the world, and my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything? This continuation of the Black Panther saga has both of the standout attributes and trappings of your typical blockbuster sequel. And to be fair, they're significantly more good than bad overall. It effectively builds on the characters introduced to us in that previous movie from 2018, while also straining at times to introduce new ones into the fold. Simply put, this film is overstuffed. In light of the untimely recent passing of Chadwick Boseman, it would have been enough for this sequel to utilize the death of his character, T'Challa, as a jumping-off point for the story, exploring the mystery of what might have caused it, along with the aftermath of his death and how it affected those around him. And Ryan Coogler's handsomely directed sequel does some of that, taking us through both the continued stories of his sister Shuri, played by Letitia Wright, and his mother Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett, as they struggle to regain some footing, along with their ongoing efforts to protect Wakanda from external threats. Activate the sunbed. Shorty, where are you? Making my way to the city right now. Stand down. That is an order. Mother, I'm with Aneka. We can provide air support. Aneka, do not let her leave the land. Mother, you're, you're, you're breaking up. We can't hear you. Shorty! Love you, bye. You just hung up on the queen. I just hung up on my mom? There's a difference. Come, let's go. The performances of both actresses are very strong. And it would have also been enough to merit a sequel by focusing on the introduction of one such external threat mentioned above, which is Namor, who leads an army of aquatic-based mutants defending their underwater kingdom, which is also reliant on the mysterious rare mineral of vibranium, which happens to be the lifeblood of Wakanda too. Namor is elegantly played by Tanakh Huerta, and he provides both a great foil and menacing threat to Shuri and crew. get in here this place is amazing the air is pristine and the water my mother told stories about a place like this 
a protected land with people that never have to leave, that never have to change who they were. It's to this film's credit that earlier scenes shared by Namor and Shuri are among this film's highlights, and that we actually get to watch them get to know each other before the inevitable conflict escalates. It's a genuinely thoughtful touch from Kugler and his co-writer Joe Robert Cole. You see, all of the plot that I just summarized would have been more than enough for a single superhero epic. There's plenty of meat there, there's good organic conflict, sufficient opportunities for action sequences, and earned emotion from all the major characters. But since this isn't just a continuation of the Black Panther story, but also the latest episode in the long-running Marvel Cinematic-slash-streaming universe, well, that means we have to add in more subplots, introduce more new characters to be featured in future episodes, and also return to more previously introduced characters from previous episodes. Yep, that means we have to run up significant screen time getting introduced to Ironheart otherwise known as Riri, while also catching up with Everett Ross, along with someone else whom I'll get to a bit later. And this isn't even accounting for the return of several supporting characters, which I remembered fondly from that first film, mainly Nakia, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and Okoye, played by Dene Guerra. Aneka, where is your spear? Should he give me this to try? You know, I like them better. Our foremothers gave us this spear because it is precise, elegant, and... Deadly. It will not change under my watch. Oh, they have a few moments, but they're just engulfed into this battle royale for screen time, along with way too many characters in a film, which runs about 160 minutes and even feels longer at points. It's a shame, too, as everyone is giving good performances, the overall tone is very sincere, and Kugler is clearly directing the hell out of every locale, balancing both the majesty and lived-in quality of places underwater and high up in the sky. Thanks to relatively new DP Autumn David Arkapa, this is definitely one of the better-looking MCU movies, right up there with Thor Ragnarok and Eternals. And beyond that, the visual effects are clearly a step up from recent Marvel entries. Everything looks pretty good. Everything's rendered pretty nicely. I was enjoying both Shuri's and Namor's journeys, but the requirements of this being part of the ultimate shared universe just kept pulling me away from them. And thanks to the economics of storytelling resulting from such an overburdened structure for the film, we also have what, in my opinion, is the unnecessary death of one character, which I honestly have to say left a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, I don't want to really spoil it exactly, but it felt like shades of the Natasha slight from Avengers Endgame, with just how awkwardly it seemed to be brushed aside for another remembrance towards the end of the movie. And of course, that was justified because we're remembering Chadwick Boseman. And I'll just leave it at that. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And the music in this film is pretty fantastic. The score from Ludwig Göransson, who won the Oscar last time around for the last movie, features a diverse array of different sounds and is sufficiently rousing in all of the right moments. It really works. However, I happen to be a huge fan of a certain Barbadian singer-slash-pop star named Robin Rihanna Fenty, who contributes a song to the soundtrack, really lovely song, which we hear over the closing credits. You might know her as Rihanna, and to hear her moving, quiet ballad, Lift Me Up, play over some simple, affecting imagery, I don't want to give it away too much, is the perfect grace note to end this movie on.
The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Yeah, the Marvel films pretty much invented this category, if I'm being honest, and I could just go crazy with it, but I'm going to kind of keep this tight for this film. Now back to Everett Ross, CIA agent Everett Ross from the U.S., played by Martin Freeman, who I like and who's also good in the movie. I get the idea of bringing him back as he was in that first movie, but his character is not really needed here. And even worse, we also get to learn about his weird relationship with Julia Louise Strivas's government agent, I don't know if she works for CIA or Hydra, doesn't matter really, who I think was introduced in Black Widow. I still haven't seen that. Why are we spending significant screen time with these two characters? Their presence adds nothing to do with the story. It's all very tonally different, and it just seems here to plug other future Marvel properties, which they will be appearing in. It just pads the runtime, and it stops the film in its tracks. And seriously, this is coming from someone who loved Seinfeld. I think it's the greatest sitcom of all time. And I worshipped Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character of Elaine Bennis. I am begging you, put the air conditioner on. (laughs) You're hot? I've lost six pounds. But there is just zero purpose to spending time with Dreyfus here, or the awkward comedy that her character is bringing with her. These characters just feel like they're out of a different movie, or more to a point, a sitcom. This brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Okay, now back to something which was not wasted in this movie, and that would be the introduction of Namor and his undersea world of Atlantis. Well, it's actually not referred to as Atlantis in this movie for obvious reasons, Well, regardless, the introduction of this world happens to result in what I feel is the film's standout sequence roughly about halfway through as we watch Namor accompany Shuri on a tour of his underwater home. Thanks to an oversized protective suit that he provides her, along with some well-placed translucent jet streams which carry her around. It's really cool. Like I said previously, it's gratifying to watch our two main characters actually get to know each other a bit under peaceful circumstances before conflict escalates. But beyond that, the visualization of the underwater life that she gets to witness, I mean Shuri, it's often quite awe-inspiring, and it adds some genuine wonder to the story. And now the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. There are two performances which stood out to me the most. The first one is Namor by Tanakh Huerta. Now, he's technically the film's villain, but I really liked that he didn't actually play it that way. This is a very powerful character who brings his powers to the surface world, and in a position to dominate, no less. Thanks to his winged feet, he can even fly. And yeah, I know that sounds silly, but props to the FX department for pulling off those winged feet convincingly and also using them sparingly. Huerta is relatively soft-spoken yet confident for most of his performance. I liked how from the get-go, he's making these very clear threats to a potential new enemy or ally. I'm talking about Wakanda. But he's delivering them in a manner which can almost be disarming. What reason do you have to reveal your secret to the world? I am not a woman who enjoys repeating herself. Who are you? I have many names. My people call me Ahkukunkan. But my enemies call me Namor. This is the first time I've seen this actor, even though he has more than 70 credits on his IMDb. And some big stuff like Narcos or Mozart in the Jungle just shows that I've not seen. But I hope to see more of him now. And if there's a standalone Namor movie coming up, I will be there opening night. And the other standout performance belongs to one of my favorite all-time actresses, the legendary Angela Bassett, who has always been an on-screen force of nature, going back to prominent roles in movies like What's Love Got to Do With It?, 
future episode Malcolm X, or previous episode Boys in the Hood. Not only was it nice to see her with such a prominent role in such a big movie again, but she is very much the heart and soul of at least the first half of this movie. Her Ramonda is clearly someone who has experienced enormous tragedy in recent years. We can see how it's taken its toll on her, and we can also see how it has tested her into being a staunch defender of her kingdom as the Queen of Wakanda since then. She has much of this film's earlier big emotional moments, especially that speech that we see her deliver at the UN early on. Je vous en prie. Let our gracious response to this incursion be an olive branch. Further attempts on our resources will be considered an act of aggression and met with a much steeper response. Am I personally pleased with the choice that's made regarding her character after the midpoint of this movie? Well, not really. But like I said, it comes down to the economy of characters in this story, and I can understand why it was done. And it does not in any way take away from her performance. Honestly, most of the major cast is pretty great. But for delivering the performances which had the greatest impact on me, Angela Bassett and Tena Huerta are your co-MVPs. My rating for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, is three and a half stars out of five. Overall, this film works somewhat. It entertains, it shows character growth, and it features thoughtful themes. But it bites off more than it can chew in the end, preventing it from being a great movie, resulting in a merely good one. And to be clear, this is not just a Marvel issue. I'm not just picking on Marvel here. The issues that hold this film back are part of a larger shared universe slash superhero slash IP issue that we're seeing in movies nowadays. And I've talked about it before. And we just saw it to an even greater extent recently with DC's Black Adam, a movie which is so focused on introducing and or reintroducing other elements that it actually gives its title character, Black Adam, short shrift. And Ryan Coogler, he's an exciting director. And while this might be his weakest film overall, which to be fair really speaks more to the higher quality of his previous three films, he does deliver a fitting tribute to the legacy of both Chadwick Boseman and the character of T'Challa. If you're looking to watch Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, it is currently playing in theaters. And that ends another Wakandan review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.